This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the latest Golf Channel podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray, and I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Tirico, NBC Sports, Mr. Everything, basically. If there's a, a sporting event in America, there's a good chance that uh, Mike has covered it. So, Mike, thanks for joining us. Take some time to, uh, to chat about things. Hello, Will. Good to catch up with you and uh, all of your, I guess, downloaders. We always say listeners, but either way. the podcast are downloaders, so good yes. to be with everyone. Good. So I'm sure they, they appreciate any label you want to throw their way. <laughs> Uh, so it's been almost a year since you transitioned from ESPN to NBC and, and joined the Peacock and, and all that good stuff. So I want to know, for you, what's been the highlight of your time uh, so far with NBC? Well, it would be hard to, to pull one of them out. Uh, all, all the Sunday night games were terrific to be a part of with the NFL, uh, Kentucky Derby. The first event I got to do was to continue my string of doing the Open Championship, or the Open, I think it's now called. Let me get that right. And uh, they do I like the Open, yes. I've broadcasted so long, I'm now on the third name of it. We've gone from <laughs> the British Open to the Open Championship to the Open, but uh, it's all the same event. I've done 20 of them uh, to, to go there. That Stenson Mickelson duel was was quite something. I, I still would have to say Rio. Uh, I was so looking forward to the Olympics. I had never done them before, and uh, it was everything I had hoped it would be, and then some. So. If you ask me to pick one out of a bunch of great ones, including the Ryder Cup in there and all that, I would say it was probably uh, the time in Rio and uh, hosting the Olympics from one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, Copacabana Beach. I would say that Rio is a pretty popular answer if you ask people uh, through the halls yeah. here at Golf Channel as well. It was, it was a fun <laughs> couple weeks down there. Uh, but speaking of Olympics, I do want to touch on that in that since, uh, since we last talked uh, a few weeks back, that you are now going to be the uh, permanent Olympics host starting in 2018. You're taking Bob Costas' chair. So I want to know what your thoughts are on that and, and kind of what that opportunity holds for you. Well, they figured it would be easy if I took Bob's chair since we're about the same height. Maybe I can clear him <laughs> by an inch. So, so you can say that. To, I can't. We're, no, yeah, I can because I'm, I'm another I'm – another, <laughs> uh, no, we, we both enjoy co covering the Triple Crown races and talking to the jockeys. They're, <laughs> they're our, our kind of guys. You know, we tower over them. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a thrill. You know, you don't, you don't replace a Bob Costas. You follow someone like that. And the Olympics have meant a lot to a lot of us over the years in sport. Uh, I think as the dynamics of the world have changed and the world is smaller in some ways, but also in some ways farther apart than it's further apart than it's ever been, 
the Olympic Games will bring people of different ideologies, different thoughts, different approaches uh, together and, and do it in a place far away for us in the United States, halfway around the world in Korea, in Pyeongchang, for the Winter Games in 2018 in uh, February. And it will be something that we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know something memorable will come from it. So uh, for that alone, I'm uh, excited. And as a little bit of a television nerd, the opportunity to do a job that has really been defined in American television by two of the people who I have respected, admired, and uh, look up to. And uh, their work has been a beacon, which I've tried to seek and follow throughout my career, and that's Bob, who we mentioned, and then Jim McKay, who uh, did the job at ABC before that. Now, there were some other primetime hosts of the Olympics, and it's not to uh, disrespect Brian Gumbel, who did it for one for NBC, uh, and Greg Gumbel, and Tim McCarver, you'd be surprised maybe to find out, and Jim Nance, among those who did the Winter Games when NBC, uh, CBS did the Winter Games. Uh, in the 90s. But for the most part, the job has been defined by McKay and Costas. And to uh, do that job is a thrill for me. I can understand. It's a, quite the exclusive club that uh, you're going to be joining next year. Now, I want to go back to the Open. You mentioned you've done yeah. 20 uh, Open Championships at the Opens, which it was, it was a variety of names based on uh, what year we're talking about. But sure. I want to go back a few years. You covered two of the most uh, memorable Opens, let's say, 99 and 2000. You go from Jean mm -hmm. Vandeveld, I can still hear you saying, it's in the burn, it's in the burn. <laughs> and then 2000, Tiger closing out the first uh, career Grand Slam. So I guess we'll start with 99, and just how surreal was that moment watching Vandeveld do what he did? Well, I just mentioned Jim McKay, and those are the last two that Jim worked with us at ABC at the time. Uh, Jim was in that host role, and it was really neat to get a chance to work with him. He did that in 97, and I think he was with us again for sure, 99-2000. Those were the three. Um, remember that week was bizarre. Uh, the greenskeeper there was uh, put off in a dispute with the organizers, and he fertilized the rough. There was uh, one, pa one patch of fairway of fairway that in the driving area was about eight yards wide on the front uh, so it was just a bizarre week. The weather wasn't very good. You know, the the winning score to get into the playoff was well over par. Yeah, I think it was uh, six over, if I remember. Yeah, exa yeah. exactly. So so the whole the whole thing was just bizarre. What most people won't remember about Vandeveld, he made putts from everywhere. If we were in the shot link era back then, it would have been an astonishing amount of putts in terms of footage that he hold. Uh, during the whole week, and especially uh, as you got to the final round. Bob Rosberg, the late Bob Rosberg, 1959 PGA champ. Rossi was uh, on the golf course as the on-course reporter, and he was the best at that. He was the person who really defined that role as something cool. Now, Rossi, Rossi famously would say, yeah, he's got no shot, and somebody would hit a shot. Hit, I have no idea how he hit it. Um, Rossi was on the golf course. Vandeveld was still using his driver, even with the big lead, made a long putt at 17. It took the lead to the 18th tee. And Rossi, as soon as we say they're going to 18, he gets in and he says, Curtis, I have to ask you, Curtis Strange was the analyst, there's no way he's going to hit driver here, is he? And, <laughs> and Vandeveld hit driver to the wrong fairway, then got 
one of the worst breaks of all time. Oh, it's terrible. Bouncing the break, off, off the grandstand. Exactly. And not just off the grandstand, off a rail of the grandstand. So imagine that they put up a metal barrier so the fans can't fall out of the first row of the grandstand. It was as wide as the top of a rail would be if you were building a fence. So about the width of your arm, if you put your arm straight out. So from over about 200 yards, Vanderbilt hits that thing square. It could have bounced anywhere, and it bounces back towards where he hit it into the thick rough, which was fronting the burn. Then he puts it in the burn, and most of you listening to this know, know the rest of what happened. But if that ball rattles around in the grandstand, if he gets a drop from there, and the drop could very well have cleared the hazard, and we never would have had this conversation. We got an unbelievable series of bad breaks, and then he finally makes the 15-footer to get into the playoff. And what a lot of people forget, Paul Laurie won. He had an unbelievable shot on the last hole of the playoff to cement it. A lot of people forget that Justin Leonard, who won yeah. in 97, was the third man in that playoff. So 8,000 things. It was tail after tail of what happened in that final round. It, it was one of the most uh, interesting, bizarre, uh, unforeseen, never-to-be-seen-again sequences in golf leading up to the 18th and then from 18 on through that and the playoff and all that stuff. Well, you were also uh, on the call a few months ago for a, what I would say might be a modern Van Develt out at the ANA Inspiration. Talk me through <laughs> what what that was like to uh, to digest everything that happened to Lexi Thompson and and uh, how you guys got word of the penalty and, and everything that went down. Sure, sure. I, I, I didn't mean to blow past Tiger. No, we'll go, we have plenty of time plan. for Tiger. We'll get back but, to Tiger. But that was nothing. That, yeah. that was just a guy completing the career grand slam for the first time <laughs> on live television. What, right. what no big, big deal was that? Right? Yeah, no yeah. big deal. He yeah. didn't do anything after that either. So. Nah, it was, yeah. it was you know, an overrated run for him. Yeah. Um, the Lexi Thompson thing was odd. So uh, I'm working now here for the company, and uh, Terry Gannon, who does a great job with a lot of our golf coverage, Terry happened to be that week assigned to the U.S. Figure Skating Championship, so the World Figure Skating Championships, excuse me. So I need somebody to fill in on the first major of the year, and I was happy to do it, especially because it was a tournament I had covered for many years when it was the Nabisco and the Dinosaur, and uh, to work with Judy Rankin again, who is a Hall of Famer and one of the great people uh, of all time, and has remained a friend long past our ABC slash ESPN days. So, sure, happy to do it. Go out to the desert, call four rounds of golf. You're not around the tour for a while, so it's a lot of getting to know who the players are, know about them, and it was great. They enjoyed everything about the experience. So it's Sunday. Alexi Thompson has this lead, and she's trying to manage this. Pretty good story. be pretty good for the LPGA in the U.S. if it's the first major of the year was won by uh, uh, one of the American players, one of the young rising American players, all that stuff. So about a hole before, our director, John Del Vecchio, hops in my ear and said, hey, rules officials are down here. Not sure if anything's going to happen. If it does, it'll be big. And then we come back out of break. So I knew nothing. I just knew there might be something going on. Couldn't even pin it to a player. But figured it had to be somebody near the lead if it would have been big. And then in the next commercial break, uh, one of our executives who was executive producing on site, Jack Graham, who was my first golf producer at ABC, so I've known Jack for 20 years. Jack hops in and says, okay, you're going on. Because the officials were down there, and because of our TV resources, we were helping them with all of that. And, uh, you know, we really had that two-minute commercial break to digest it all and spit the information out. 
he kind of got the information out right before Lexi found out. And it was an interesting case test, Will, in social media and how things spread quickly. Because when it happened, a lot of people started to hop onto the broadcast. And I could just tell from text messages I was getting or other uh, social media hits that a lot of people weren't watching but jumped in when this started happening and were fixated by it. And I probably hopped one hair out of my lane of neutrality to laud Lexi for making birdie on that very next hole, that that par four. Uh, I thought that was mm-hmm. one of the coolest things. I thought, and still do, that that defines what a great athlete is in sport uh, when you are supremely tested uh, when things don't feel like they're going your way and through the emotion, muscle memory and fortitude lead you to performance. And that's what happened with Lexi uh, on that hole. Now she didn't win, but she kept herself right in the mix, got to the playoff. And uh, I, I just, I'll, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do any other LPGA events here in the near future, but if that's the one every 10 years, I'll remember for a long time. It was again, like you said, a very unique, circumstance yeah it's going to be hard to top i don't know uh how many yeah. you want to try after that but uh and, and, i don't think any of us want to because of the whole uh the whole viewer calling in to uh change and impact the result of a sporting event I, i'm a big believer that the tours uh if you're going to be on live tv you need to dedicate a rules official to just the telecast and if they miss it then it's gone right. uh, I, I don't – look, do we have sports where you don't have all these rules? Of course. Uh, can you see everything? No. So people will question the equitability, the fairness of it. But in sports, if an official misses a call, it's, to use the golf term, rubber the green. You kind of move on. And in this game where the athletes, the golfers, call rules and fractions on themselves, or you may point it out to protect the field – I bring it to the uh, attention of a player who broke a rule, whether willingly or not. That's all well and good, but if we see it in this day of video evidence, you've got to talk about it. And I just think it shouldn't be up to someone thousands of miles away impacting the competition. And while there's no perfect solution to me, that would be the best solution. One, to put a time frame on it, and then which would be for me – before that person hits their first shot the next round. And then secondly, to have a rules official there watching TV to be that viewer at home and catch everything that they might miss. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think a little bit of limitations can go a long way. I've covered, you know, not as many events as you, but I've covered a few. And I still have yet to find that phone that everyone calls in on. I know. Discrepancies. It's it's hiding there somewhere in the production truck, I'm sure. I, I hope somebody at some point will tell us or me, who called? Yeah. Was it was it a viewer? Was it not a viewer? Was it somebody else? I'd love to find out who called and what they were doing going back watching the third round, uh, twenty seven mm-hmm. hours later to uncover this uh, this rules infraction. And it was a rules infraction. It was her fault. Right. She made a mistake and she mismarked the ball. And you know the lesson for all of us who you know try to play and keep a score is mark your ball the right way. All right, let's go down a different road here. Give me a tale of the tape of Mike Tirico, the golfer. Uh, you oh, travel a lot. You, you go to a lot of events, but you make your home in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, not exactly a golf weather hotbed. So what's, uh, what's your handicap at these days? How much are you able to play? 
highlights, lowlights, take it away. Oh, well, I'm not good. Let's, <laughs> let's just start there. Let's just start there. My index, as a matter of fact, since I'm sitting at my computer, I'm gonna try, I was going to try to call up my, uh, my index just to get it up, up to date so we have complete accuracy here. My index is 13, I think it's 13 even. Let's see. Hang on a second. Call it up. It is. This is very exciting radio for you. 13 <laughs> even is oh, my it's index. very respectable. At, as of mid-May. No, well, can I play to that? No. It, it, I play my golf in bunches. Usually that bunch is during the summer uh, when the schedule eases up a little bit. Usually after the Open, I will uh, be on a golf course somewhere in our great state uh, as many days as physically possible. The, the joy of Michigan is we have unbelievable golf courses throughout the state in the lower part of the state where I live in the Ann Arbor area which is about, for those who are initiated, 40, 45 miles west of Detroit, and all the way on up, about four hours to our north, 200, 250 miles, some great places like Arcadia Bluffs and Crystal Downs. and There are just a ton of terrific golf courses up in northern Michigan. Uh, so whether it's up there or down here, try to play as often uh, as the schedule allows. During the summer, but like last summer, when you're spending a month in Rio and you're preparing for the Olympics, it cuts into your golf a lot. So uh, my my swing isn't very good. I just kind of push the ball around a little bit. You get these brief moments of playing well. I, I think it's one of those people who enjoys the hour on the range as much as the four hours on the golf course and playing. Wow. Um, That's it, dedication. You, you, you're in the minority yeah. there. Well, you hear and see so many different thoughts and theories and, you know, the one swing thought carries you for, you know, one round or two rounds or things like that. I enjoy I enjoy playing a lot uh, with friends here in the area. I don't play on the road. I think one of the questions I get most often that is inaccurate or assumptions that turn into a question, the inaccurate assumption is, oh, boy, you'll come back from the TPC. Did you play the course? Well, no, <laughs> of course I didn't. I got there Tuesday night. Wednesday's the pro-am all day, all night, and they're playing from sun up till sundown, uh, for the most part. And you're on the air for six or seven hours. Now, in the old days, we had two-hour shows maybe on cable days, and maybe two and a half hours on the network on Saturday or Sunday. You could sneak out in the morning and go play golf. It's become considerably harder because of the hours that we're on now. Uh, if we were on, let's say, the players from uh, one to seven. Uh, Dan Hicks, who's hosting in the 18th Tower, and I'm hosting, and Terry Gannon as well. We're at the golf course by about 10 in the morning. Yep. So there's there's no time to go out and play earlier in the day. And I certainly don't bring my golf clubs on the road for a football game. Once a year, maybe, do you try to sneak out and stay somewhere and play? Yes, but by and large, you want to get home. One, to your family, and two, to your next event, because it's probably three or four days away. So my golf is limited. My ability is quite limited. Uh, I love the game, and uh, like many of you, there is that series of three to five shots or maybe four to six holes during a round that make you believe and bring you back every single time. That's all you need, just a couple to uh, keep you booking that next tee time. We all yeah, feel I, it. We all feel it. I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I played, uh, played a nine-hole match at Titleist against Callaway yesterday. I had, had about <laughs> two hours. And it was a beautiful day, and I just wanted to get out and walk, and I carried my bag, and I took two Titleists in the right pocket, two Callaways in the left pocket, and uh, played 
played 18 holes by playing uh, a Titleist v. Callaway nine-hole match. It was a blast. It was just, you know, when you can do that, those rare days, you can just clear your head and not think about the next work assignment or anything that laid over from the Preakness or what's ahead for uh, live from at the U.S. Open or anything like that. It, it was, uh, it's enjoyable, and there's still nothing like carrying your bag. Now that I'm uh, still young enough to do it, there's nothing like just putting your bag over your shoulders and going for nine or 18. I'm right there with you. Um, all right, we did mention him earlier in this podcast, but I would like to circle back to one Tiger Woods. As we said, mm-hmm. you were you were on the the call there at the 2000 Open at St Andrews, but you've been uh, around many golf tournaments that that Tiger has won over his career. We're not quite to the post Tiger era yet. I think we're everyone agrees we're we're pretty close to it. So my question to you is this: Do you feel like we took Tiger for granted when he was in his prime? Mm, good question. I don't think we took him for granted. I think the end was a little, is, and since it's in the process of, a little disappointing for some because they had already anointed him as the greatest golfer of all time. That was, to me, and still is, Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Because let's just, let's just talk in simple terms here. One of the things about golf is, if you have an insurmountable lead, there's no mercy rule. You've got to finish the deal. Uh, so Jack played all 18 in terms of the majors he won. Tiger couldn't get there. Uh, Jack had periods where his dominance was the equivalent of Tiger's just happened in a different era. So uh, Tiger never got there, at least in my opinion, but he's incredibly close. Probably no argument for a second if you take the air from you know the war on here uh, to talk about modern golf. I think we didn't take him for granted because he crossed over the sports line for pop culture, for conversations of uh, race, of athleticism, somebody who was the new era of the sport somebody who was built up to us from a very, very, very young age and delivered the almost entire promise that was out there that he would be a great golfer and he would dominate the tour and win more majors than two, three, four Hall of Famers combined. Well, you can take like three or four Hall of Famers, put their career together in terms of wins and majors, and Tiger blows that away. Uh, So I think if there's anything we took for granted in the Woods era, it's how great Mickelson was. And is. Mm-hmm. I don't think we took Tiger for granted. I think we just thought there was always going to be more. And when there wasn't five, seven, nine, ten years of more, it left us a little bit hollow. I think, if anything, when you look at 40 plus wins and all the majors that Mickelson has won, I think that's what we missed out on in terms of appreciation of greatness. I'd love to do this. I'm going to do this math at some point. The number of tournaments that Tiger and Phil entered. They were both in the field. And then you put their wins together and something in the neighborhood of you know, almost 120, just under 120 wins together that they had. And that's probably, uh, let's just guess here, it's probably out of 350 tournaments that they were both in. So if they were both in a tournament for that stretch from, you know, if you want to go past, Let's go when Tiger turns pro, because Phil doesn't have a ton of wins. He has some wins, but not a ton of wins. If we go from 96, Milwaukee, Hello World, mm-hmm. all the way through, 
the last yeah, all the way through Mickelson's last win. We we, yeah. we could throw a window up there at Mickelson's last win. Uh, you you're gonna have something in the neighborhood of 350 events. I, I don't know, but those guys won a third of them. Yep. Now talk about that. That's that's two players who dominated the game and Wood's dominance over Mickelson was so significant. I know triple the number of majors, almost double the number of wins. Yeah, almost double the number of wins. Mm-hmm. And when you when I look at that. I don't think Mickelson got as much attention as Tiger did because there wasn't the crossover factor. So if if we look past anything, it's probably Mickelson's greatness during the stretch. And that's not taken away from Tiger's greatness. I think that was celebrated, appreciated, and I for one miss it because there was there was nothing like the buzz of Tiger in the hunt in a big tournament. That is for sure. Uh, all right, a couple more, and then I will let you uh, get on your merry way here. But as we've said. Earlier, you are certainly not a golf-only guy. Many will remember your time at, at ESPN. You've done NBA Finals. You've done pro football, college football, the whole nine yards, including now horse racing. Uh, but my question to you is, and you know, let's, let's take Tiger and put him to the side in case this would be your answer, but who is your most memorable athlete to cover and why? So we'll we'll move Tiger, like you said. I, yeah. I think that's mostly been Tiger answered gets his there own through that. Yeah, yeah I uh, I'm I'm trying to just go through the other sports real quick. In a lot of ways, for me, it's Bill Belichick, and so it's really? a coach, not an athlete necessarily. Okay. I'll give you the quickest anecdotal reasons as to why. Unbelievable coach, obviously, um, winning winning the five Super Bowls. And the relationship with the media has been seen in one way by a lot of folks. Uh, I've always had a wonderful relationship with Bill and enjoy talking football with him. Uh, it goes back to after they won back-to-back Super Bowls then lost a divisional round playoff, the final eight, to Denver. Uh, this was before Super Bowl Forty. Bill was re- approached and accepted the ask to be part of our pregame show on ABC, the last time the Super Bowl aired on ABC. And ESPN's Sunday Countdown crew was the pregame show group with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson and others. And on a separate set, I worked with Belichick. And so I got to know him and got to see him and got to understand him. And you cannot understate, you can't overstate, excuse me, the depth of Bill's understanding of everything that happens in a football game. It's, it is just chess compared to checkers. <laughs> and uh, it's been the most intriguing person to watch and cover to watch how he interacts with the rest of the world. We were at uh, dinner at the Preakness and Bill was a few tables over at the restaurant and most of America wouldn't have recognized him because he's there gregariously entertaining a table of stories and smiling and, in a wonderful spot, very different from the guy you see in a hoodie mm-hmm. answering questions at a press conference. So for all those complexities and the incredible ability and the opportunity to kind of get on the inside and see a little bit of the window, I'd say Belichick is right there for me as uh, one of the most intriguing people to cover in my 25, six years of doing this at the network level. I think that uh, regardless of setting outside of the hoodie, Belichick would be tough <laughs> for many to to recognize. Uh, quickly before before you go, last one, I know you're a big Syracuse guy. What is the key to turning around Syracuse football? Oh, man. I'm hoping it's our current coach. And I say R is a, a proud alum and, and member of the board there. It's, uh, we, we love our school. 
my wife and I both went to school there. It's a, a great place with amazing people and longtime friends. And a lot of that goes back to the 80s when Dick McPherson was the head coach and had Syracuse as high as number three in the country. They tied Auburn 1987, an undefeated season in the Sugar Bowl. Pat Dye uh, gutlessly chose to kick a field goal <laughs> to tie a bowl game and not go for the win. Uh, denying Syracuse a perfect season, a number two finish in the polls. Uh, but you're not bitter. Were, no, no, I'm just, I'm actually reporting all facts there. If, if you sense bitterness, maybe <laughs> you're perceiving something. It's not there. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, Northeast football is hard to get turned around because there is not the level of financial investment and long-term year-round support of the sport in the Northeast that you have in the SEC in Florida, in Texas, in California, which have become real hotbeds of the game, even in the state of Ohio, uh, just below, below us in Michigan uh, geographically. So it's going to be really hard. Uh, they have gone to what I think is the best way. You're playing indoors. You're playing nine games a year. Coach who throws it around uh, runs a play every two seconds, and they proved they could score last year without his players. He's just getting that thing figured out. So – Hopefully the style that Dino Babers plays will be an exciting style and attract players from around the country. The opportunity for skill offensive players or kickers or punters to play most of their schedule in good weather because more than half the games are indoors, that's, yep. that's, a big, that's a big calling card if you want to put up good numbers and try to get yourself to the league. So we'll see if that works. I am very hopeful. Uh, we've got, we play, I think, the hardest schedule in the country this year, but that's okay. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it by shocking the world. So let's start at the top. There you go. The season will be here before you know it. But, Mike, thank you much for joining us. Uh, I know I echo the sentiments of, of many here at Golf Channel where it's great to have your voice on our coverage with Golf Channel and NBC. Look forward to seeing you throughout the golf season at the Belmont Stakes uh, in a couple weeks and then certainly at live from the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills in a few weeks. That's right, and then we'll head right to the Open uh, in July. We're looking forward to We'll hopefully we'll get a round of golf in there uh, in between now and then. Thanks for having me on and hitting straight. I appreciate it, Mike. And uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Is it just me or is it getting really hard to figure out the best way to save for retirement? Fidelity can help you find clarity so you can save the best way for you. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement your way. Get started at fidelity.com slash future. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC.